Discover the million-dollar sales page secrets used by the world's most successful copywriters and business owners. This is the Copywriting for Sales Pages show. And now your host, sales page expert and copywriting egghead, Debbie Owen. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I'm super excited to be able to introduce you to my friend Chris Orzachowski. Chris was a teacher before becoming a copywriter, working both his day job and his business at the same time while he was transitioning from one to the other. Now he specializes in email campaigns and has since gone on to produce multiple six and seven figure product launches in a variety of niches for both physical and digital products. Hey, Chris, welcome. It's great to have you here with us today. Hey, Debbie, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. Well, listen, you and I were both teachers before we became copywriters. Um, there's an element of persuasion involved in both teaching and marketing copy. Where do you see some overlap? Oh, so many places. Um, for me, the big revelation came when I would try to teach whatever I had to teach to my students and watch their eyes roll over time after time after time, mm -hmm. in which case I finally realized maybe it's time to switch your strategy here. <laughs> um, that's kind of like my first real understanding of the power of storytelling. And that's something, you know, we all talk about as copywriters and as marketers and business owners, mm -hmm. being able to communicate what you want to communicate in a story always makes things a lot more fun, a lot more effective, um, especially, you know, in a sales message. So it was kind of interesting to see, um, you know, that transition take place. What I started mm -hmm. doing was I started to t tell stories or I start my lessons off with a story and, you know, kids would walk in they'd be like, oh, great, math class. Can't wait for this, <laughs> right? And they'd sit down, they'd throw their books down and they would just kind of like, you know, be ready to doze it off. And then I'd say, hey, all right, let me tell you guys a story. And all of a sudden their ears would perk up yeah. and I'd have their attention at least for a few seconds. And that was what I gradually started to do. And I noticed, you know, it started to really, number one, capture attention. That's the first thing we always want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then just it helped them remember as well because whenever you put things in the story format, uh, you know, that's the way we're kind of built to communicate or at least our, the way our brains are built to communicate. So I found that that helped a lot. Um, that was like the biggest parallel because, you know, the thing between, you know, another parallel between advertising and teaching is like no one really wants to read an advertisement, right? Mm -hmm. Just like no one really wants to sit in a classroom and learn algebra, right? Like no one really wants to do either of those two things. Well, some people, but, but not the, the some people. Yeah. yeah, some people. Sure. sure. I'll give you that. But so, you know, when you're dealing with imparting a message that people aren't necessarily searching for or not really seeking out, you kind of have to be you kind of have to, you know, flank their position a little bit. You can't go at it head on. You kind of have to use these methods of persuasion that, you know, instead of just telling what you need to tell them, you kind of have to mask it a little bit. Mask it a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but I love the fact that the you f story, I mean, how many math teachers tell stories in their classes? Nobody. Very few. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's awesome. I think your kids were really lucky to have you, even though you were, you know, mentally you're checking out and getting ready to go on to the next thing. I'm sure they were really lucky to have a storytelling math teacher. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was nice, you know, because uh, I was learning all these things about writing copy, and I was like, oh, let's, let's try some of these things in the classroom, see how they work. Like, let's yeah. test them out. And, uh, you know, because when you read all these stuff in these copywriting books and these marketing books and, you, you know, you listen to all these people on, you know, all these experts, and it's like, okay, well, let's see what really works out in the real world, right? Because mm -hmm. not everything works. And, uh you got to test it out for yourself, you know, and you got to test it out in a variety of different places to see, because that's the thing too. 
our brains are all kind of wired the same, right? Mm-hmm. We all learn similar. I mean, there's different learning styles, but like, you know, when you communicate a story, whether it's written, whether it's something they're watching, whether it's auditory, right? Like we all kind of absorb information similar ways. So mm-hmm. being able to take all everyone's theories and ideas and apply them in different contexts, that's when you really start to get good at this stuff, or at least that's what, when I did. Okay. That's great. That's great. Um, <clears throat> go back just a second also to something you said about how to capture attention. Um, I mean, my job as a teacher was to teach reluctant teenagers how to do research, and uh, yours was to teach reluctant kids how to do math. I mean, somewhere along the line, you have to be able to capture their attention. Let's talk a little bit about um, some of the lessons that you learned to capture young people's attention, and how can you apply that to copywriting? Um, Okay, so capturing attention. So, uh, let's see. I mean... Besides the stories, it's really just, you know, there's a lot of, so I'll relate this to subject lines, right? Because that's kind of something I do every single day. And when I write email copy for my clients, uh, I usually come up with anywhere between five and 10 subject lines. And, you know, whenever I write a sales letter or whatever it may be for a client, I always, you know, the first part of the AIDA formula, attention, interest, desire, action, the first part of that is attention. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is I like to kind of create statements that, evoke curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. I like to, and, and, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought in terms of like what your headline should do, what your subject line should do. For me, I like to think of this as like, you know, the process of getting attention is kind of like playing a football game, right? Like what you're going to do is you're not going to chuck up a Hail Mary pass on the first play and try to throw the ball hundred yards down the field, right? You're just Mm -hmm. going to try to go a couple yards at a time till you get your first down and you're going to keep moving the ball up the field, up the field, up the field, right? Mm -hmm. That's the analogy I like to use. And so the way that translates into copy and headlines, subject lines and getting attention and all that is let's create a statement or something that gets people curious or gets them to stop and be curious to read that next line. That's really all I care about with an email. That's all I care about is say, what can I say to just get the thing opened? If we get it opened, first objective is accomplished. Then we'll worry, we'll create the body so we can get them to read and get them to click and so on and so forth. And the same thing goes with the headline, right? Mm-hmm. You want to create a statement you know, depending on their awareness level, you want to create a statement that gets them to stop and read. That's the first battle. If you don't win that battle, you could write 10,000 words. It's not going to matter, right? Mm-hmm. So curiosity, I find, is always the best way to do that. And, you know, when I was in the classroom, it would start off with a story. It might be an interesting question or a weird thought or, you know, opening a loop and not closing it until later on. Like, those are mm-hmm. all met. There's a lot of different ways you could do this. But the way that I found to get really good at this is just to start to notice this in your own life and not enough copywriters, not enough business owners do this, right? They just rely mm-hmm. on going back to the tactics and the, the, you know, the book from 60 years ago about how to write good copy. <laughs> you know, everyone's got their collection of 30,000 books that they read, but right. for me, it's more important to, to notice what's going on with your own thinking, things that catch your attention. Be like, stop and say, why did this grab my attention? What was it? Try to deconstruct it, right? When you see an advertisement on TV, it might not be a direct response advertisement, but it might have gotten your attention. Ask yourself why, right? When you're reading the newspaper, if you still do that, or if you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're on the bus and you see an ad somewhere, or whatever it is, or you see a story on the news, like there's, the news is great. I mean, they have, the, they are the best at keeping your brain addicted to wanting more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they just, you know, come up with statements that target, you know, your lizard brain, really get yeah. you, uh, you know, yeah. really get you fearful and, yeah. you know, open these loops and you kind of need to watch to. So, you know, there's a lot of different places where, you know, this whole idea of grabbing attention comes into play. I think it's just a matter of finding it in your own life and examining what, because 
you know, examining it your own life because what makes what makes you stop and pay attention is going to make other people stop and pay attention. Yeah, you know, it might differ from market to market, niche to niche, but there's these like patterns of persuasion that exist all over the place. So you just need to start opening your eyes to see them. I love that. I love that. It's kind of a meta analysis, you know, thinking about your own thinking, mm-hmm. uh, metacognition, and that's uh, once you can figure out what grabs your attention, you can say, oh well, I'm like everybody else. What's that's what's going to grab everybody else's attention too. Exactly. That's great. That's great. Um, well, going directly into emails, what when you were making that transition, what did you find to be the most challenging thing about getting emails that convert? Um, understanding a couple things. So, under here, I'll, I'll frame it in this context. Okay. So, when I coach other writers and other business owners on how to write their emails, the you know everyone has these formulas or they have these specific, you know, they learn from their favorite email teacher or copywriting teacher. And all they want to do is go formulas and hacks and like cool, sexy stuff. But what I found is more important working with clients when we're doing, you know, multiple seven figure launches, multiple six figure launches. It's all about the context and the objective of each piece. Like I've written, I've done launches where we've had a hundred emails, right? And the most important thing in those sequences is, okay, did we accomplish our objective in each one of those emails, right? When we're doing a webinar funnel, the drive to register emails are going to have a much different purpose than the replay emails and the reminder emails and the cart close emails and the scoop up emails, right? So understanding the context and the objective, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure you do both of those things. And those are both very, they lean very heavily on understanding market awareness levels, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like where most of the way I think about all advertising starts. It's, and if you're not familiar with market awareness levels, um, check out Eugene Schwartz's Breakthrough Advertising because he kind of breaks it down. He's kind of the guy who, you know, crystallized this into into written words for us. Right. But um, it talks all about understanding, hey, how do we create a message that matches with what the person knows already, right? Mm-hmm. So they might be aware they have a problem, but not aware that there's a solution. Or they might be aware that there's a solution, and they might be aware of your solution, and they just need a reason why, right? So all of those things are going to kind of change your message. So for me, it was kind of making that transition from, oh, I'm learning from all, you know, I took all every copywriting, email copywriting course out there. I'm like, oh, this stuff is really cool, but it doesn't necessarily apply in every situation, right? Mm -hmm. I might want to do a really cool storytelling soap opera sequence with all these open loops. But for, you know, if I have three emails to get people onto a webinar, that might not always be the exact strategy I want to go with, right? Right. Um, you know, it's just different contexts. Things, different things are going to work in different contexts, right? And that all depends on people's awareness levels. So understanding those two things, and those are kind of like boring things, right? Like they're not cool or sexy or anything like that. Understanding like what you're trying to do in each email, because that, you know, that's stuff that really influences your decision, or at least my decision-making process. When I sit down, I say, okay, what do I have to do? Because then going back to the other analogy, the football analogy, if I understand what I have to do, I understand what they know already, I understand what they need to know in this email, and I understand what comes in the next seven emails that they get, then it makes it really easy to just craft my message and tell them exactly what they need to know. Okay. You just said a ton. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to try to synopsize it all right now, but, but listeners and readers, uh, viewers go back and and rewind a little bit there because what (laughs) you just got was gold and uh, Chris really knows what he's talking about. So um, yeah, I, I mean, time to process that myself. But I, I think that's, I think that's true. The, the awareness level is really important. And I know a lot of business owners are just not taking the time to figure out what the awareness level is. Um, 
And that's absolutely critical to understanding what your goal and objective is as you're writing anything, whether it's content or copy, any kind of piece that you're putting out into the world, you got to understand what's already going on in your prospect's head at that moment in time. And that's based on how much do they know about what's going on in the market and how deeply do they understand their own needs and desires and all that other stuff. So yeah, you got to know that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, what, what's something uh, when an email doesn't convert, what's usually the big mistake that you see people making? 90% of the time it's the offer. Um, and I'm very confident saying that. And the reason why is because I find, um, at least with the writers that I've coached and the business that I've worked with, you know, I've had clients where, you know, I've written emails for them for a year and a half and all of a sudden uh, an email sequence doesn't work. And I say, well, okay, I don't think I got worse in those 18 months, right? It's probably just the offer. And then we test out a new offer and it seems to do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, for email sequences that, you know, if you're doing a front end promotion or you're going to cold traffic, I wouldn't say that's necessarily always the case, although it's mm -hmm. either got to be the list, the offer, the copy, right? Mm -hmm. But for me with email, I think it's very offer dependent. And the reason why I say that is because number one, unless you just, you know, got knocked in the head and, you know, you lost 20,000 brain cells and you don't know how to write copy anymore. It could be that, that could be the mm -hmm. issue, right? Or you didn't explain it well enough. Um, I don't, you know, the other variable is the list. Um, if people know who you are and they're on your email list and they've been on your email list for any amount of time, then they're probably, they're usually a warmer traffic source. Um, so right. more often than not, it's the offer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and that's one of those things. That's another unsexy idea, right? Like, uh, it's not necessarily always about the copy because really what people care about, and this is Brian Kurtz thing. He talks about the 40, 40, 20, about having a good list, having a good offer. And the copy is kind of like that last 20%. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would say the offer is definitely the most important. The most important. So what makes for a good offer? Uh, okay. So here's my theory on offers. So when I like to think of offers, I like to, well, let's back up a second because this let's go into my whole offer creation kind of thinking. Okay. So whenever I'm working on a project and when I work with my clients, I don't always just like take what they have. Most of the time I'm involved with the offer creation process because mm -hmm. that's kind of where the, the marketing mess starts, at least in my eyes. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do, and this ties into my market research methods, I like to go out and actually shop. And we've talked about this before, Debbie. I like mm -hmm. to go out and actually shop and buy the mm -hmm. product that I'm selling. So, mm -hmm. for instance, when I worked on the Filippo Loretti Kickstarter campaign, which was the world's most funded timepiece project ever, we raised over $5 million on Kickstarter in 30 days. I went out and I went shopping twice for watches, and I actually bought my wife a watch. And I'm not a watch guy. I don't wear them. So mm -hmm. I said, how am I going to get inside these people's heads? How do I know what's important? How do I know what a dream come true solution would be for these people? I don't know right? right and it's very hard for, i'm not someone who has a ton of empathy so it's very hard for me to just be like oh i understand what that feels like so what i did was i said i'm going to go to the store i'm going to go out and buy a watch and in that moment when i'm pulling out my credit card out of my wallet and i'm getting ready to swipe it what are the thoughts that are running through my head what do i really care about and even as i'm looking and comparing two of them why do i like this one better than this one right like mm -hmm. what matters to me as a consumer that's mm -hmm. kind of where all this stuff starts, right? Mm -hmm. Because that moment, that little tiny moment when you pull out your credit card and they're getting ready to swipe it, that's when the objections come up. And you got to know what those objections are going to be if you're going to write an effective sales message. Mm. So that's kind of where it starts. And then once you understand those things, that's that's how I do like 80% of my market research. I do that and I talk to people who buy the products that I'm trying to sell. That's pretty much it. I don't really go into a whole, you know, I know there's like avatar checklists. I know that stuff works and people like it. I don't really do much of that. I just go out and talk to people 
people and go out and buy the product. And by the time I do that, I usually have 80, 90% of what I need. Okay. Uh, I might do a little bit of research after that. But once I know all those things and I understand what it's like to be a person who buys that product, and I understand, oh, it sucks when this happens when you buy a product and it doesn't work out because of these reasons or it stinks that they don't have an option like this. Now I understand what people care about. That helps me come create a dream come true solution. And this is kind of the second part. I like to think of when I'm working on an offer, if I could wave a magic wand and create a dream come true solution for this person where they basically say, hey, I just want to give you money and then my problem is solved. What would that problem being solved look like, right? Like what, how would that actually translate into real life? Um, you're not always able to do that. That's mm -hmm. kind of like the ideal that you strive for and you write down what that is. What is this person's dream come true solution? We'll mm -hmm. get rid of this pain and this pain and this pain and this pain. We'll give them this benefit and this benefit and this benefit, right? Or it might be one specific pain, one specific benefit. And then you say, okay, can we achieve this with a product? If not, you kind of back down your claims and back down the copy until it's exactly congruent and you have proof to back up everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I kind of try to reverse engineer the offers because if you have an offer if you know people have a problem, if you know it's a real problem, not just a made-up problem you made up in your head because people are buying products like it and you go out and talk to people who bought it and then you say, hey, we have a product that solves the problem even better or in a different way or in a faster way or in a cheaper way or whatever the case may be, it's going to sell. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, it'd be, you know, I'm sure there's outliers in this equation, but more than likely it's probably going to sell. Okay, okay. So um, you, were, you were talking about the, the difference in offers. Um, I don't know. I wanted to dig into that a little bit more because there's the, the product offer and there's like an inf information offer. Can you, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So in my opinion, information uh, products, digital products, uh, courses, books, all that stuff, more often than not, those are bought because someone wants to achieve a aspirational goal, right? They have this idea. They want to become something, right? That's mm -hmm. a great verb. Like when you're writing out 100 headlines for your next promotion, start off with become blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Become a world-class copywriter. Become the most respected business owner. Become whatever. And those aren't necessarily good. But people want to buy an information product because they want to take the information, use it, and then something happens, right? They want to, something's going to change, some kind of transformation is going to happen, or they are going to become a different version of themselves. Right. Weight, loss, weight loss products, why do people buy that? They want to become skinnier, right? Mm -hmm. Or they want to become healthier or whatever the case may be. Marketing products, they want to build a bigger business. They want to become a more successful entrepreneur, right? That's right. where all of this starts, understanding that there's a transformation that needs to occur, at least at some level. Otherwise, you know, why, why would you buy a product? Because you want to read a 300 page book on marketing funnels? Probably not, right? Like you probably just want to buy that so you can implement your business and get this result and transform part of it. So mm -hmm. understanding that there's a transformation at some level that needs to happen is kind of where that ties in, at least in mm -hmm. my book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so what you also talked about a dream come true, which I love. That's a, a great way to think about, you know, what, what the offer is and what the benefit is. What if it's a luxury item? Like, you know, you were talking about your time pieces. I, yeah, we need to know what time it is, but there are a lot of different ways of telling what time it is. It, having a nice watch or having a nice jacket or having a diamond ring, you know, those are luxury items. What's the dream come true? Yeah, so especially with luxury items, I mean, you could really say this about, you, if you boil down every single buying motivation, like to its base core level, like deep inside mm -hmm. your brain, it's all about, you know, sex, status, 
dominance, right? Like it's all about those things at the end of the day, oh, because yeah. that, yeah, it's kind of the way that like we're all hardwired, right? Like humans are hardwired to reproduce and continue on with the species. So right. how does that play out? There's a social hierarchy, right? Everyone wants to know where they are. They are in the hierarchy. That's why people who have money want to buy the $300,000 sports car to demonstrate to everyone else that they're at a higher level in the social hierarchy. That's all it is. I mean, is it better on gas mileage? Is it more efficient? No, right? But it's just about the flash and it's about the status and it's about all of those things. And right. people will never, you know, 90% of people aren't going to admit that. And that's perfectly fine. They don't have to, right? But right. with luxury items especially, it's to show off, right? It's to peacock. It's to let everyone know where you stand. So when you're selling something like that, that's a luxury item, it's not about, oh, look at this cool feature that makes it run. To, you know, no, it's not about that. It's about the image. It's about, again, a transformation, right? It's about you buy this and you become this person now, right? You're no okay. longer Joe Schmo. Now you're the dude with the nice watch or the dude with the nice car or the dude with the nice house. That's mm-hmm. who you are. That changes your self-image and it changes the image that you project to everyone else. So in my mind, those are the things that when you're dealing, especially with a luxury, I mean, it can really apply to a lot of items, but you know, even just something basic, right? Like if you want to, you, you want to walk into the party and everyone be like, Oh my God, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that watch? It's so cool. Right? Like mm-hmm. that, that dopamine hit, that's what people buy it for. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is great. So the, it's always a transformation. It doesn't matter if it's a transformation from my life sucks to my life is better to I'm, I'm an okay person to, wow, I really want people to pay attention to me. There's always a transformation. I think at some level, and I think it goes, there's two forces at work here. There's identity and there's aspiration, right? So okay. in my mind, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of like high level, very like meta concepts here, but that's just the way I think about this stuff it makes me different. So people buy for two other tertiary reasons, right? They buy because they have an identity or self image and they want to keep in line with that self image. Like someone mm-hmm. who's... Yep. You know, if someone is wants to be like a hardcore dirt biker or something, right? Like they're mm-hmm. going to buy products that are in line with that image that they want to create. They're going to buy the gear and the bikes and they might get mm-hmm. a tattoo and they might get, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to buy stuff that's in line with that self-image. But mm-hmm. they also buy stuff because people buy stuff because they want to become someone else or a better version of themselves or an upgraded version or okay. whatever the case may be. So I, I think those two things are kind of very closely linked the identity and the aspiration. But mm-hmm. if you know, you know, if you could size up why, who someone wants to become or who they will become when they buy this or who they are now, you know, like if you're a loving mother, why would you give your, why would you wash your kids with that detergent? Do you not love your kids? Right? No, you want to buy this because this one's non-toxic. Oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm a loving mother. I'm not going to wash my kids clothes with this poison. I'm going to get this brand, right? Like <laughs> that stays in line with their identity, right? Because yes, that's yes. who, you know, and it's identity and aspiration because they're either view themselves as the loving mother or they want to become it. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the best example in the world, but that's just the first one that popped in my head. So. No, that's great. That's great. I, I, I love that. That's terrific. Good, good. So, um, well, listen, we, you no longer just write emails, obviously. I mean, that's how you really got into it and, and made your name and got, you know, really got rolling. Um, but you also write copy for entire funnels. And I know that you've written for enormous funnels, hundreds of pieces for, you know, for one funnel. So this copy can include Facebook ads, um, you know, and it can include, uh, which are super short. Uh, it can include 30 to 40 page sales letters, webinars, and everything in between. Um, what are some pitfalls 
that people can make unintentionally when adding all the other forms of copy to the repertoire. You know, it could be a business owner who's just been practicing writing emails and now they now they realize they need to write a webinar script and a sales page and a landing page. I mean, what are some what are some mistakes they might make as they begin to expand what they do? So this was kind of drilled in my head by uh, one of my clients, John Asaraf, um, yeah. founder of Neurogym, New York Times bestselling author, star of the movie The Secret. Uh, he <laughs> got a credentialize in there. Um, he told me one of my first weeks there and one of the first promotions I worked on, he stressed the importance of me. And this is something I, I didn't really hear from too many other people. Um, but I mean, he's an incredibly smart and talented and experienced business owner. So it yeah. makes sense that it would come from someone like him, but he stressed to me so much the importance of consistency from banner to buyer. I'll mm-hmm. say that again, consistency from banner to buyer. So, there is a consistent flow that happens from the first banner ad they see or Facebook ad or email or whatever it is all the way to the time when they pull out their credit card and buy. And I guess another way you can look at it is there's a big idea that carries itself. Oops, sorry about that. Oh, my phone. There's a big idea that carries itself throughout the entire campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to be evident in some way. It doesn't have to be present in every single communication, but there's this big overarching idea throughout the entire campaign that every single piece of copy is going to go back and support that big idea and help people accomplish that big idea or, or mm-hmm. you know, use that big idea to change part of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having that consistency from, and that's, again, that's another thing you're not going to hear from many, you know, copywriting you know, stupid copywriting posting your Facebook newsfeed. No one's going to talk about this, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I don't like this. But uh, yeah, it's all about that consistency. If you can have it, you know, when you're dealing with 100 pieces of copy, you know, it's about context, it's about objective, but it's about making sure you have that consistency. You're not getting off on the tangents. And it's kind of, I know Jordan Belfort, he has that straight line persuasion system. And I, I've looked into it a little bit, but I, I think that this is where this idea came first in my head. So I mm-hmm. want to give him credit. Um, but it's basically, you want to find out what these people want and then keep them on a straight line right and mm. you don't want them diverting off on tangents or thinking of different ideas as you want them all their their attention has to keep being centered back to that big idea that you know first took over their attention from the yeah. first advertisement that they saw or the first entry point to that funnel yeah 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 i like that because the very first thing that right what you said the first thing that grabbed their attention is the thing that brought them in and if you start to change the story then you're going to probably lose them somewhere along the way Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and you're right. John's very smart. I worked with John Asraf at one point too, so he's he's an awesome guy. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So um, uh, I know you've been really super busy with tons of copy projects lately. What are some of your best tips for doing research most efficiently? Because we know that that's where if you're writing copy, that's where you got to spend most of your time. Yeah, um, I'm going to go back to the buying the product, but that's, okay. we're going to go a little bit further. So I kind of hash on this buying the product yourself, or if you're not, you know, if you're selling a, a $100,000 car, like you're not going to go out and just swipe that, right? Like you, you can go shopping for it. You don't have to necessarily buy it. Buy so it, right, I'll, right. I'll give you that caveat. Um, but another part too, is just kind of looking at your competitors, looking at the rest of the marketplace and it's not going to be a perfect science, but you can kind of get a feel for the, the way the marketplace is going. Um, a couple markets, for instance, like if you look at the cannabis market, what's about to happen in that market, at least according to my viewpoint, is we're about to see a market in a very early sophistication level. And this is another Eugene mm-hmm. Schwartz concept, sophistication levels. Like at first, you can be like, hey, 
we got weed, right? Like all these cannabis stores can be like, want to buy some weed? And like that can be their sales message, right? And then like after that, it's like, well, everyone's saying that. So how do you differentiate yourself? You got to say, our weed gets you higher, right? (laughs) And then like it gets you 30% higher, right? Um, And that's stage two. And then the third level would be, um, or we get you 30% higher because we have this special strand of whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that example popped in my head, but, um, <laughs> well, because it's a, it's a market that's literally about to explode. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, it's very rare to see markets like that where it's very rare. Yeah. It's to where, where they're starting or not starting over, but they're new markets being formed. Right. Right. So they're, you know, like I'm thinking of the car ride, like Uber is another one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, although they might not be exactly new because they're kind of a variation of taxi, but there's all these, you know, some new markets that are kind of popping up like that where you could see from the very beginning where all they have to do, they're not saturated at all. And it's just, there's one or two companies doing it and then a hundred companies pop up. Another mm-hmm. one is the meal delivery company. So one of my, uh, I've worked with a few meal prep and meal delivery companies oh, okay. and there used to only be a handful of those. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, we'll ship you food, right? And everyone's like, cool, here, take my credit card, ship me some food, great. And now it's like there's a thousand of them, and they all have this little differentiated hook, right? So you can kind of get an idea of who the big players are in your market. You could say kind of, you know, suss that, okay, what what level of sophistication are we in, right? What are the claims being made? Who's making the biggest claims? How are they backing those claims up? Are they talking about a mechanism um, that's something that differentiates them from everyone else? Um, to what extent are they talking about that stuff? So you can kind of look and say, okay, well, the big players are all saying this, so if I want to compete and if I want to beat them, my message has to evolve a little bit. Um, so, and that's, it's, we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. I, I would recommend just getting the book Breakthrough Advertising and reading about 10 times, and then it'll <laughs> get a little bit clearer. But, uh, okay. yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, well, I mean, this has been really amazing information here, Chris. I mean, you, you're a fast talker, and you manage to... <laughs> to dump a whole lot of stuff in all at once and I'm going to have to go back and listen to some things and pick and I, cause there's some stuff I want to pick out too. But um, let me, this is how I kind of end up a lot of these, these conversations is what do you know now that you wish you had known then? Um, would you do things differently? Mm, good question. You know, part of me says, no, I wouldn't want to do things differently because it led me to where I am today. And that's kind of like the cop out answer that everyone gives. Right. Um, I, think, I mean, I guess some things I wish I knew were, pare down who I'm learning from because I feel like everyone's an expert nowadays. Like you go on the Facebook and it's funny how everyone's just yelling about business and you know, it's like, why are you on Facebook all day posting 15 times a day if you're so good at what you do, right? Like, shouldn't you be out working? But, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of ways to get distracted. There's a million books you can read. There's a thousand podcasts, you know, obviously you should listen to this one. You should re-listen to this episode too. Totally. But, uh, you know, there's just so, there's just so much information, right? There's, there's just this, amazing amount of information, which is great. It's so cool. But at the same time, it's so distracting. So just understand, like, you know, my mentor, Kevin Rogers, he, he said, you know, he's like, he said that he studied from John Carlton. That was the one guy he he learned like everything about Carlton's style and all that. And he really focused on like one dude to learn from. And Mm -hmm. I did the complete opposite. And I learned from everyone. I mean, I, like, I have just courses upon courses and books and like, I still have 10 courses right now. I haven't even gone through. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Right. (laughs) Because, but, but I mean, it kind of gave me, I guess, a different, a little bit of a different set of skill set than some other people. And I kind of have Mm -hmm. a wider breadth of knowledge, which helps me in certain situations. Uh, over other people and other people obviously have advantages over me, but I would say just kind of paring down, um, you know, learning from the right people, learning from people who have proof behind what they do. Mm -hmm. That's extremely important. Um, 
And just really, you know, I'm just going to harp on the context and the objective because that's another thing too. And I don't mean to use this in my own personal soapbox, but like all, you know, everyone has information. Everyone is putting out information. You can't just take it blindly. You have to understand the context of what they're talking about because, you know, right. there's some people I love who I follow and I, I love their business advice, but it would never work for my particular business. And if I was to follow it, that would be stupid of me, right? Mm-hmm. Because you got to understand the context of, oh, this person works with businesses who do over $10 million a year. My business only makes multiple six figures. Is the strategy going to be the same? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is, but maybe it's not, right? If right. you understand context behind all of these things and who is their ideal audience? Am I their ideal audience? Should I be listening to these people? You know, there, there's, there's, there's a guru for everyone, right? right. Or there's multiple gurus for everyone. Um, but I would just say, be very careful about who you listen to. Um, and you know, when you find someone who you really identify with, then just, you know, follow them into mm-hmm. the depths of hell <laughs> <laughs> or, or heaven, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Or heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what do you think is kind of like the big takeaway that you hope people will take from this, from this conversation? If you take one thing from this, and this is what I tell everyone, um, go out and shop for the product you're selling. I mean, that's like, that's one thing I wish I knew too. Like, you know, you don't have to fill out another avatar worksheet. You don't have to go and study, you know, read, you know, 400 books that your audience is reading or watch all the movies and the magazine. You don't have to do all that stuff, right? If you just go out and buy the product yourself or, you know, if not the exact product, buy a very similar product or go through that process, you will be amazed at what you learn by buying the thing you're trying to sell. Because, you know, for people with empathy problems like me, that is the quickest way to just cut through the BS and get to exactly what the sales message should be. Um, So, yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, Chris, where can people find more of you online? Uh, my website is theemailcopywriter.com. I'll say it again, www.theemailcopywriter.com. Um, if you want to work with me, uh, unfortunately, I'm not currently taking clients as I'm booked up, but you can sign up for my wait list. If you are a copywriter and you're listening to this, um, you can sign up for my free course, How to Land Your First Four-Figure Copywriting Retainer. Awesome. Well, Chris Orzachowski, it has been, as always, a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, thank you so much. This was uh, uh, really valuable, I'm quite sure. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, my name is Deborah Owen from Big League Copywriting. Knowing how to write copy for your business is one of the most important skills you can learn. But I see many business owners making easily correctable mistakes. Find out if you're making some of these mistakes by getting your copy up, Why Your Sales Page Isn't Converting, 12 Big Mistakes Business Owners Make When Writing Their Own Copy. And you can find that at bit.ly slash why sales page isn't converting. So let's get you some sales page success.